Welcome to the SUSS series of podcasts, where we explore ideas, solutions, and collaborations that are making a difference in the lives of individuals, families, communities, and beyond. This series features guests who will discuss how we can achieve social impact for the greater good, no matter how big or small. Hi, I'm Dr. Omer, Senior Lecturer at the SUSS School of Humanities and Behavioral Sciences, and welcome to the podcast. A friend of mine was recently lamenting about home-based working and learning. She mentioned how everyone in her family was so consumed by their own laptops and gadgets to the point that even though they were all in the same house, each of them was consumed in their own little digital universe. This reminded me of the book by MIT professor Sherry Turkle called Alone Together. She described how in the age of the internet, we are more connected than ever, yet even more alone in reality. I recall my friend mentioning during moments when she could spare time from her own projects and checked on her son, he seemed to be looking at pretty normal stuff, but he seemed very eager for her to leave and she often wondered what was he reading or watching when no one was looking. And with smartphones coming into the mix, there was no way she could watch what he was doing online all the time. I'm looking forward to discussing what these dangers might be with Dr. Victor Sia, Deputy Head of the Psychology Program at SUSS School of Humanities and Behavioral Sciences today. Thanks for joining me, Victor. Hello, Omir. As a parent, I can emphatically agree that there really is no way for parents to monitor everything their children view online. And this is worrying because we're all spending more time on our devices since the pandemic. I don't think my iPads have seen more of me and my family. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. I mean, you're not alone in this. I think this is happening everywhere in the world. I'm talking to people across the globe in the US and people in other parts of Asia. They're all telling me the same things. It's happening in India. It's happening in China. And let's take a look at what's happening based on some reports. So there was a recent article by Channel News Asia which said that today primary school children can easily spend up to seven to eight hours a day on the screen. Kids. Wow. wow. Yeah. And in 2010, it was reported in the Health Hub website that Singaporean youth spend 53% more time playing video games than youths in the US. And this is pre-pandemic. This is pre-pandemic. Imagine that. Yeah, but the article that really got me worried was, and I listened to what Neil Basu, the Assistant Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, was saying. He actually said the pandemic is actually making young people more open to radicalization. And this is, this is really worrying. Well, you mentioned earlier this increased risk and dangerous influence. What do you mean by that? Could you elaborate a bit more, Omil? When we talk about online dangers, I mean, back in the day, I would think like, okay, He's going to be watching porn or something dangerous like that. But today, that idea of danger has become more fluid. We're talking about rather harmful ideologies, movements. Radicalization is just one part of it. There are many groups out there who are promoting conspiracy theories. Especially, this part really gets me concerned because you see this in gaming cultures. Hate speech. It's becoming normalized. Mm. Kids these days, when they're in these online communities, in those gaming chats, mm. you know, speaking in this kind of violent trash talk, that's normalized. Mm. You know, when it's normalized seven to eight hours or more of their time, imagine what they're going to bring over to the real world. This mm. is really concerning. Now, here's some other statistics that I actually looked at. It was reported in a CNBC article mm. that QAnon and anti-vaxxer movements they're actually reaching out to teenagers mm. and more teenagers are actually reading this stuff. Wow. And it was even more interesting because there was a BBC report 
that mentioned how a lot of these anti-vaxxer movements are involving young teenagers. There was a girl who was roughly around 15 years old who after getting involved in all these anti-vaxxer conspiracy theories actually took part in many of these demonstrations. This is worrying. It is very worrying. And how young, you know, teenagers being targeted. So what impact are we looking at here? When you take a look at the kind of impact that's going to happen in the real world, at the most basic level, I'm thinking about the kind of interpersonal tension that will happen at the family level. Obviously, this is going to create a lot of home tensions. And when you get so involved in a certain counterculture Mm. or a little bubble of your own, Mm. you pretty much shut out the rest of the world. You shut out the people that you used to hang out with. Mm. In fact, everything that you hear or see is sort of like clouded with that kind of lens. That's just one part. But when hate speech becomes normalized, I'm trying to think of the kind of communal fault lines that it's going to exacerbate. Mm. All this is, of course, leading to the rise of harmful counterculture movements that are basically going to be preying on people's fears, frustrations and misguided information and beliefs. And in the time of COVID, this is even more pertinent. Mm. Yes, that's true. So from a psychological perspective, I was just yeah. thinking we could just drill down. Mm. What dangers would we be looking at? You're talking about normalization and I think that's a really good point there. One danger of spending too much time on dangerous content is really how it affects our perceptions and interpretations. So I provided a commentary to Chan News Asia about our fascination with video clips of bad driving. One danger of that with prolonged viewing of such videos is that it leads us to interpret information differently. How so? Well, we become more sensitive to negative information. So in the context of driving, ambiguous situations, which is really all around us when we drive, may be perceived to be more dangerous or aggressive than in reality. So the negative is exaggerated and the positives are ignored. So we start to ignore and disregard acts of graciousness and kindness. You talk about normalization. I think that's another real danger, you know. So when we're exposed to all these conspiracy theories, it stretches our standards of what is outrageous and ridiculous. Yeah, we might dismiss the dangerous content. We might dismiss the conspiracy theory, but it has already stretched our expectations. So something less ridiculous because of the contrast effect might be more acceptable now. So a mad conspiracy is less mad, maybe even logical when contrasted against an insane one. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you know, you talk about social media, right? So seeing the many likes and supportive comments on social media may also lead us to believe that these theories are not fringe theories. There is a real community, people are liking this. Right. So when you see a whole community sort of like backing up these ideas, you think, hey, I'm not the only one believing in this. Yes. You yes. know, everybody all around me, it, it must be true then. I mean, that's what you're getting at, right? Yes, yes. And so you get consensus and also polarization. So that's the third danger, I think. Multiple studies have found that when we're in groups, it intensifies our initial leanings. If you have a group of like-minded anti-vaxxers and they're talking in a telegram group, that's going to be a massive echo chamber. And they're going to become more and more polarized in their anti-vaccination beliefs. I don't know, Victor. How do you even get them out of this bubble then? (laughs) If this kind of negative bias is so internalized, is there a way to sort of 
slowly wean them away from this? Part of this also is thinking about the nature and nurture question. So we've always had all these dark traits and a bias towards negative information. If we weren't biased towards negative information, we wouldn't be here, right? Our ancestors would have died off because they weren't sensitive to negative information. So we have a bias towards negative information. That's always been the case. But I think the consequential change has been social media as an external force. So our snap reactions, our angry rants, our mindless mumbles, all of this used to be within the confines of our car or our room. Now, there's an endless audience and it's amplified infinitely with social media. So social media has enabled all these echo chambers where groups double down on their initial beliefs. In the past, they could be the family weirdo. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? But now they're part of a large international community. You know, Victor, I was just thinking about internet search engines. The way they are designed, the algorithms, they sort of give you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, and social media as well. Exactly, these platforms. I mean, if you're looking for, let's say, cat videos, mm. you're going to get cat videos and more. Yes. Right, and it's not only that. The algorithm actually remembers that this is what you like, mm. gives you more of that, and the kind of people in the social network that yep. also like cat videos. Yes. Yeah, but we're not talking about cat videos here. We're talking <laughs> about rather dangerous stuff, dangerous yes. ideas. So all you need is basically a teenager who's sort of exploring let's say certain dangerous drugs mm. eventually they're getting very creative they're getting very clever with this mm. they know how to find these somewhat hidden countercultures on the internet yes. they're not that difficult to find yes. because the algorithm is actually helping them yes it is feeding them so what can we do about this yeah, it's really tricky because, you know, obviously these companies have a financial imperative to do this, right? You know, the more time we engage on these platforms, the better for them in some ways. And also there are some psychological, I don't know if I'm going to give you a solution to be honest, but I'll add on to the problem. No, please. <laughs> yes. So one might be confirmation bias. Right. So we seek out information that supports and confirms our beliefs. And when we're confronted or we ignore competing contradictory information, I think that really adds to the echo chamber social media right. knows so Facebook Instagram TikTok whatever they know that you like this stuff they know that the people around you or people who like this would also like certain things and so like you said they form a community around it and the underlying driving psychological principle there I think one of them is confirmation bias you've been listening to the SUSS series of podcasts the next part of this episode will be available at suss.edu.sg slash podcast. Stay tuned.